Hey everybody, hello. Welcome to episode three of Here Comes the Spider Cast. I am Michael. And I am Josh Marr. Excellent. And as usual, we're covering an entire month of Spider-Man comics in one approximate hour of listening pleasure. Um, right. So this this <laughs> episode, we're covering um, September 1980 of Spider-Man. And these comics were published at a time when my only knowledge of Spidey was from the live-action TV show and maybe Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, if that was out at that time. I'm not sure. What about you, right. Josh? You weren't even uh, born yet, were you? No, I wasn't even born yet, actually. Um, but these are these comics are a little nostalgic for me because I grew up reading my dad's old comics, and these were the comics that he also grew up reading. So, I, I mean, it is still a little bit nostalgic for me. Yeah, that's the thing is, um, I mean, it's, it's a weird feeling, though, because, like, when I got into comics, Spider-Man was around, or Amazing Spider-Man was around number 225. Mm. And I remember thinking that, like, 1960s Spider-Man was just, it was like another, it was like ancient Greece, as far as I was concerned. It was so long ago, right? So mm. when you look at these comics, do these feel really old to you, or what do they feel like? Um, no, I don't know. They don't necessarily feel old, because... Uh... I don't I mean, know. They, you, even yeah, you did read them as a kid, right? So right. It's a little bit, yeah. So so I, I guess in that but sense. See, I didn't, so go ahead. No, I was gonna say because like I, I didn't really get exposed to '60s Spider-Man until a few years later, and when I read them, and I could you know I saw the John Romita art, it definitely felt older mm-hmm. and more you know cl- like a classical classic to me. So it was like a different feeling but if you were reading these when you were a little kid then it's a li- then i guess you're like used to it right right yeah so it is a little bit weird i like i i can get the sense reading them but like mm-hmm. holding them and like looking at the art it doesn't necessarily feel old sure okay that's but, good that's good yeah that, that's probably just because i'm used to them and they just sure. feel so familiar yeah well you know yeah. what there's uh, do, do you remember uh, wizard magazine did you ever read wizard no i didn't Oh really? Okay. No. Well, Wizard Magazine was like a, it was like a fanzine, but it was like the first really big budget slick fanzine. Okay. With, yeah, it was um, with you know it was it started out to be honest it started out really dumb and then it got over the years it got better and better and better and it got funnier and funnier and it almost became like the sense of humor got pretty sharp at one point it was like the crack.com of like comic book magazines it was really funny right mm-hmm. and it was also but it was also informative it was also passionate and there was a lot of crap there was a lot of good stuff but i remember one of the quotes i read in wizard magazine in the mid 90s and this was looking back with nostalgia but it was nothing is better than a good spider-man comic nothing mm-hmm. and i have to agree with that you know like when you read a good spidey comic you know what i mean it's right. like it's like having a good you know, double-decker taco or something. It just goes down so good. You know what I mean? Right, Okay, yeah. so anyway, yeah. So let's start with the comic. So you're going to introduce our first comic uh, today. Right. So uh, normally we will start off with Amazing Spider-Man, but um, I kind of asked to start with uh, Peter Parker today because right. um, there's like something small that I think leads into Amazing, and I thought that it was just kind of fun. So I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to review them in that order we could talk about that small kind of connection sure because we so far we we've read a couple of these uh we, we've had, had a couple episodes so far and none of the issues have really connected with each other yes which i was surprised like kind of going into this i 
I for some reason thought that they'd you know you know connect a little bit more, but mm-hmm. they were kind of totally separate, and and I'm fine with that. They they mm-hmm. were their own contained stories, and they were fun nonetheless. But there was just something small that I kind of connected, and it made me really feel like the comics that I was reading, like it was the same Peter Parker, and it was this right. still continuation continuation, even though it was two completely different titles. It's funny too because yeah, if you don't have that connection, then it feels like you're reading like an unrelated Peter right. Parker. It doesn't make any sense, right? Like yeah. How can you be having two different lives at the same time? But yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially if uh, the artists are different too. Right, it, right, it right. Sometimes, I mean, I mean, you get that too when you when you read an arc and it, sometimes the, the artist will change from issue to issue, but mm-hmm. it feels a little bit even further disjointed because uh, the story is not connected. Mm-hmm. So... So yeah, so this month, so this issue is Peter Parker, Spectacular Spider-Man number 46. And on the cover, we've got Between the Cobra and the Cops, Spidey's got more trouble than he can handle. Mm-hmm. And this issue, once again, written by our pal Roger Stern and drawn by Mike Zeck, who again is famous for mainly the Punisher and the Punisher covers and Secret Wars 1. But I mean, as a cover artist, absolutely one of the best guys of the 80s. His mm-hmm. interiors are not quite as good, but I think it's only because he was so meticulous that he probably just didn't have the time to draw as well as he wanted to. So, okay. the, yeah, I mean, that's just my guess. But I mean, his covers were so good that I, that's my guess is that that's why his interiors are not quite as spectacular. Right. But um, even with the art... No if pun you lo- intended. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but even if you look at the uh, the art on page, uh, digital, what is it, three? Okay. Look at this shot... Or, sorry, four. Look at this shot of Spider-Man swinging through the swinging. city. Swinging? So good. It, it, like, it's it's it seems like a minor shot, but if you look at I, it, the I was I had the same so exact yeah. note. It was... it This this whole page was really, really great. Uh, it's got a lot of movement, a lot of detail, the, the layout of it is, is just amazing. Yeah, right. like, like you pointed out too, the perspective is fantastic. Yeah, like, and that's, and that's the thing is like, it's a simple pose, it's a simple, you know, whatever, but the, the, his face looks like it, it's, the mask is wrapped around a mm-hmm. globe, like the round shape, and the feet are just right, and, you know, the legs are just right. So there's a lot of artists that could fake this shot, but it wouldn't look as anatomically correct as this. Right. And, it's, and I just want to say one thing. It looks like the type of image they would have exploited and put on like lunch boxes and yeah. you know, posters, but they never did. Anyway, you know, you know, sometimes in art, simple is better. Yeah, like, having it too complex and too busy isn't always good. Like sometimes the simple art can be more straightforward and direct, and it really gets to the point and tells you exactly what's going on. And Absolutely. this this is just like just detailed enough where you get really a feel of the depth of the city and you know, the buildings are there and you have the great line work of him like actually swinging through the city and the web connecting to the, you know, the big green building, that first top panel. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's perfect. I love Mm -hmm. it. Um, there's a, there's also something I want to point out. Um, this issue reminded me of something. Okay. Okay. I, okay. So I had two Spider-Man comics when I was a little kid and I still have them. One of them is a spectacular, one of them is an amazing. But I, there's another one that I had, and I, I only know it from memory, and I only know it from the very, very last panel, okay? okay? Now, the thing is, is I don't want to describe it because I don't want the issue to be spoiled. I want to find it on my own. But okay. <laughs> one of my secret goals of this podcast is to 
you know, accidentally, I want to come across it while we're reading these. And the cool thing is, is I'm not even going to know I have the right issue until I get to the very last panel. And I right. remember what the last panel looks like. And the only hint I'll give is that it kind of looks like this opening splash page. But that's okay. all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want to give it away. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, with this, uh, I, I want to say one more thing about the art. There's a really, really yeah. cool shot on page, where is it? Digital page 12. I, I love the shot when he's fighting um, Cobra. Cobra. He uh, yeah. rips the chimney off of the, like right off its base. Like what a cool yeah. idea and what a cool like execution, you know? And it, I, and just... I really, I really love that shot, like or that, that panel. Yeah. Um, it, it really does tell a good story, but I also really like the first panel on the same page. Okay. You mean where Cobra is kind of like strangling right. him with his and, and the And re- yeah. the reason why is, is because... Uh, they really kind of played to Cobra's powers mm-hmm. and had him almost like as a constrictor, like wrapping right. himself around Spider-Man. And, and the way that he, like, I, I really like this villain. I really like this this story because they used, uh, they, they gave the villain powers that made sense and they showed you how he was using them um, rather than telling you a lot of the times that Good happens. Good point. Where, where they just kind of, you know, this is my power. Where this one, you don't really get an introduction of what his powers are or what mm-hmm. his whole deal is. But once they start fighting, he uses his powers against Spider-Man, and you're shown it, not told it, which is fantastic. That's a great point. And also, again, the key is is that if you're drawing Cobra, he should have completely different body language than anyone else, right? Like, right. You, you, like you said, you should be able to tell it's Cobra by his not just his powers but how it's like if cobra is going to attack spider-man that he should be doing it in a unique way that's unique to cobra right into his powers so yeah um uh yeah basically again an example of how smart an artist mike zek is i think you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um now this issue to be fair there isn't much of a story no no we kind of just you know we kind of touch base with spidey we were introduced to Cobra at the beginning of him kind of escaping. That's kind of just a long fight scene. But I do like the little bit we get with Spider-Man's private life with him being in college and going to class and all that stuff, right? Right. And then, Our, you know, getting kind of like almost like a promotion right. uh, at work, getting it like getting his own office now instead yes. of having to share it. And yeah. Like little stuff like that is cool. I mean, again, yeah. And I don't mind that it's a lot of... Um, it's basically just fighting, but yeah. So I wouldn't say the story's great, but it's certainly another mm. solid issue of Spider-Man by right. Roger Stern. You know. What I mean? So yeah, what's your overall overall impression? Yeah, I I kind of felt the same way. It was nice to kind of see you know peek into his personal life a little bit, but the 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 action and the fighting didn't bother me a whole lot because it wasn't just like mindless fighting where they're throwing right. you know punch for punch because they you know described. Or they shown they showed you Cobra's powers, and he used it against Spider-Man and Spider-Man to figure out, you know, kind of a way to fight him and, and mm-hmm. get over that. I think that it still worked, even even though it was mostly just a fight to get him back into prison after he broke out. Sure, it, you know that story isn't anything crazy, but the way that they t- uh, they told it and they showed you through the art, I think, completely works and. That's why I think I like this one so much. Not necessarily because the story was deep, but because right. that, you know, it was just um, a great way that they told it. Yeah, and I also love uh, the ending. How again, it's sort of a typical Spider-Man 
you know, half victory where he does win the battle, but he's still being sort of chastised by the police and they're completely unappreciative of what he did. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. So and and all and then and so anyway, you find out at the end that while they were sort of arguing, the cops let the uh, cobra get away, and so I don't right. know, it's just kind of funny. I don't know. So yeah, again, kind of an unresolved, typical Spider-Man ending. So not not a spectacular. Well, I don't want to keep using that, but not a great <laughs> issue of spectacular Spider-Man, but definitely a solid one. Yeah. Yeah. So another solid entry from uh, Roger Stern. And yeah. so now we're we're gonna move on to a comic, another comic that I definitely have had. Since I was a kid, and that's Amazing Spider-Man number 208, featuring okay. Fusion on the cover, a really cool supervillain composed mm-hmm. of two different people. Um, now, to be fair, his origin is kind of similar to Firestorm. Are you familiar with uh, Firestorm from DC? No, I'm not. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh familiar really? with the char- I'm familiar with the character, but not necessarily his origin. Well, really quickly, he was... Um, there was an accident, like, like an, a lab accident, and basically an explosion, and a student... Oh, geez. What was his name? R- was it Ronnie Raymond? And oh. uh, his his instructor, uh, Professor Stein or Steen, Martin Stein, I think it was, um, they basically merged into one character, uh, Firestorm. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's kind of similar to this idea. And, you know, similar, um, you know, taking the theme of nuclear fusion, right? The same kind mm-hmm. of idea, except these two people are, they're both scientists and they're, I believe they're twins, Right. 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 And so they get merged together. And it's kind of an interesting story because they kind of go on like a typical supervillain rampage. But Mm -hmm. Spider-Man figures out a way to defeat him. Now, again, this is comic book logic. And so it doesn't have to make perfect sense. Right. But he ends up tearing them apart. And basically, like you can see on digital page 18 that he's actually got his hands in between them and he's tearing them apart. And that's how he ends up defeating them. Right. Unfortunately... We've run into, I think it's our second or third really quick Denny O'Neill ending. Where it just ends, yeah. Right. It's like, like if you were to read, and this is what I mean by quick, it's like if you were to start reading at the top of page 18, you would have no idea that the ending is sort of near. Because usually in a good story, you kind of get the feeling, okay, the climax is coming, whatever. But it just wraps up so quickly that it, I mean, there's, a, there's such a thing as wrapping up a story and then you know, getting a really good ending in and then leaving on a high note. But this sort of just seems like rushed. What do you think? Right. Yeah, I completely agree because, I mean, they're, they're still like one being and and kind of fighting up until the last panel. Right, like, right. The panel before the last uh, is, is Spider-Man ripping them apart. Mm-hmm. And then the last panel is him just standing over top of the two scientists at the end. Yeah. So. That's what I mean. It's not really an ending of a story. It's more just no. like they. It's almost like they ran out of pages, and like that's the end. You know. Right. I definitely think that the beginning of the story was a lot stronger. Yes, um, I it agree. Did, it did pull yeah. me in, and then and then near the end, it kind of lost me. And and I in the you know abrupt ending definitely had something to do with that. But mm. you know the origin story of these two scientists was pretty interesting and. Uh, you kind of yeah. get a little bit of snippet of them and how they're doing, and then um, what I also like is that the this bad the, the, this bad guy, mm-hmm. um, like his story and what's happening, ends up tying into Peter Parker's rather than Spider Man just happen happening to like swing through New York and stopping and seeing a supervillain and stopping it. Right, this was right. kind of a nice like he just so happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
Right. Or or right place at the right time, depending on how you, you look at it. Yeah, um, exactly. And then has yep. to sneak away, you know, fix the problem and then hurry back before anybody notices he was gone. Mm-hmm. So that I, I really like that as well. But yeah, the, the ending really kind of just fell apart for me. Like even even the like him actually fighting with um, oh, I can't remember the fusion. The, Fusion. Yeah. Um, even him fighting with Fusion. Well, it was pretty interesting, and then it kind of lost me. I don't know. I mm-hmm. think I think it's just that last page. Kills it. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a couple weird spots. Like, again, we, we kind of touch base with what's going on in his private life. Like, he uh, he he sort of uh, meets up with Aunt May, and then he sees uh, Anna Watson, which is Mary Jane Watson's mother. And he visits mm-hmm. her in the hospital. And then he kind of goes back to his adventure with Fusion. But then there's this weird spot on page... Where is it here? Yeah, on page 13, where he's in the middle of fighting Fusion. Then Fusion gets away. And so then he's like, uh, I can... E-, blah, blah, blah. So he's like, I can either stand here rubbing my bruises or check back with Mrs. Watson and Aunt May. And then a little changing clothes as he moves. Peter returns to Anna Watson's room. Next next panel. Hey, sorry I cut out. I uh, met a nurse I know. My Peter's getting interested in girls, Anna. <laughs> you missed all the excitement, Peter. Time for my nap. I'll call you tomorrow. Take care, Mrs. Watson. It's, it's, very, it's like two yeah. panels. It's almost like, what's the point of even including that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It kind of just seems like, well, we got to shove it in there. So it doesn't really amount to anything. But I don't know. It just seems like, it's almost like this has all the right elements, but they're not given the proper amount of time yeah they just don't seem to to, to be executed well yeah right the the story like maybe the story itself is good and then just the way it was laid out was you know yeah just doesn't it could work. be i mean because let's let's we actually we should mention the artist by john Romita uh, jr whom we all love but this was early in his career he wasn't obviously as good as he became later mm-hmm. but i mean i mean it could be a storytelling problem with like just sort of um rushing through the subplots and focusing right. more on the action you think that's what it could be so yeah that is could kind of be. interesting it we it does kind of feel like we spend a little bit too much time with peter at the end going back to see mrs watson and aunt may and we could have maybe used that at the end to have a yeah. couple more panels like right i mean even even him coming back into the hospital could have pretty much been it yeah. Right, and then they, yeah. they could have cut they could have cut away, and and it could have been that last panel on page thirteen. Well, it makes you wonder. I mean, because ideally, you would. I know that, like for example, Alan Moore. As far as I know, the way he writes is he'll plan out every page, every panel. Now, I'm not saying you have to plan out to the level of detail that he does, but ideally, when you're plotting out a story, you'd want to know. Okay, here's my ending. Here's my climax. Now, I know the ending's important, so we got to spend X amount of panels on it, X amount of pages. But if you're if you're like the artist and you're kind of just you've got the story, the rough story idea, and you're kind of just making it up as you go along. You mm-hmm. can see how you'd get into a situation where you'd be like, oh no, there's only three pages left, and I still got to fit in all <laughs> this story. What am I gonna do, right? right? So who knows? Maybe that's what happened here. In fact, I know that's what um I'm pretty sure that's how Jim Lee works, or at least that's the way he used to work because okay. a lot of times when you're reading his early x-men stories he'd be going along like a nice brisk pace with his panels and then he would cram like five pages of story into the last page because he you just know ran that, out of space that completely makes sense yeah yeah i never really kind of put that together but yeah, that completely makes sense for sure and that's why i i love there's nothing i like more than a nice full page 
mm-hmm. uh, like splash page ending to a comic book because to me it shows that they planned out for that dramatic cliffhanger. You right. Know? Also in this issue, this is this is the first appearance of Lance Bannon in the uh, really. Yeah. Okay. So Lance Bannon is is kind of a minor character, but he he ends up being a rival for Peter Parker. Uh, he's like a rival photographer, and he always paints uh, right. Spider-Man in, in a bad light compared to Peter Parker. And uh, a lot of times, that kind of he kind of gets his photos chosen over Parker's because J. Jonah Jameson kind of well hates Spider-Man. And so this been, is kind of a, I know he's big of a the, fun rivalry. Yeah, like he, he was big in the '80s, right? Like, did he show mm-hmm. up after that, or I don't know to be honest. Okay. I'm not sure. I remember him well, being around for Hobgoblin, which yes, we'll get course. to. I'm That's sure. what I know him from around there. To, yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, like I, I like I don't remember him being in any like modern comics. So I don't know if it's a character they dropped okay. or something happened to him or he was written off or something. But yeah, I haven't heard about him in a while so well if anyone out there is listening <laughs> anyone please feel free to let us know when was the last time we saw lance bannon in the comics yeah please do but anyway so kind of like a decent you could say formulaic issue of amazing spider-man but sure. another not a great one though so sort of a middling uh, d- uh delivery from denny o'neill we could say <laughs> okay now this is strange. We're on to our next and our final issue for um, September 1980. And I thought this was Here Comes the Spider Cast, but this is Marvel Team Up featuring the Hulk and Spider Woman. So I'm not sure what happened here, but apparently back yeah. in these days, <laughs> um, <laughs> once in a while, even though this was a considered a Spider Man Team Up book, Marvel would just randomly stick in other people, eh? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess Spider Woman's in it, so we could still technically call this Spider Cast if we mm. wanted. <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll so we'll still talk about it, right? It. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the thing, okay? Now, opening it up, I have a theory, okay? So okay. we crack this thing open. And actually, my theory already has a hole in it. But um, it is written <laughs> by Stephen Grant, who's the regular writer for the series, okay? So that makes it seem like it's part of the regular run because he is the regular writer. However, it's drawn by Carmine Infantino, who is a legend of DC Comics. He drew The Flash. He drew the uh, new look Batman. You know, he was okay. the publisher of the company. Yeah, he's actually, you know, in the in the pantheon of comic book artists, he's pretty important. But at this point in his career, he was notoriously terrible, okay? And by most people's opinion. Right. Um, he So he was working for Marvel at the time, and they tended to stick him on what were considered lower tier books like well actually spider-woman so he was probably doing spider-woman at the same time and he, he also did star wars which was a big seller but the the, the trick with um licensed properties is apparently they didn't pay as much oh interesting so if you were to draw an issue yeah if you were to draw spider-man versus star wars star wars would pay you less per page so unfortunately wow. he got stuck with a lot of books like that yeah that that it seems like that would be backwards today you're totally right you're like the, the licensed I, I, stuff the, would be star way wars more would, because it would sell better, yeah. usually. Like you'd think, and, and we know As- that GI Joe and Star Wars and Transformers all sold really well. So, mm-hmm. especially nowadays, sorry, when, what were you gonna say? When, especially nowadays, when like everything ties into the movies, like a, right. a lot of the comics that come out, they tie in directly into the movie. So the the hardcore right. fans of those movies now- are going to be paying lots to you know get more of that story. Another fun fact is that 
the artists, okay, how does this work? Okay, if Marvel pu puts out a reprint today of 10 issues of Spider-Man, the writer and the artist and the inker, and as far as I know, everyone gets royalties from that, okay? But mm -hmm. since Marvel does not own the comic book rights to say G.I. Joe or Transformers or Godzilla, what happens is another company like say IDW or Boom or whoever, they'll publish, they'll get the rights. Like if they have the rights to Transformers, they'll publish their collection of Transformers but the original writers and the original artists get nothing from those reprints. Wow, interesting. Yeah, it's ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's like another reason why they should be paid more. Exactly, exactly, yeah. but that's unfortunately it's yeah. not the way it is. Um, another thing, so getting back to my theory. So my theory is apparently Marv Wolfman started this. Marv Wolfman was at one point the editor-in-chief of Marvel and one of the things that he implemented was to combat the uh, constant uh, lateness and the missing of deadlines he created a series that only existed in the in the office and it was basically called like i don't know what it was called it was called like um fill in comics okay and so he would have a, a regular series called fill in comics and every month would be fill in comics number one fill in comics number two and the, by the way that's not the that's not the correct name it's something like that and so what he would do is he would commission writers and artists to produce stories that always featured more than one character. So he'd be like, okay, we're going to have a story with Iron Man and Captain America together. Then the next issue is going to be the Hulk and Spider-Man. The next issue is going to be whatever. And so that way, whenever there was a late comic, he, he, was, he would grab one of these fill-in comics. He'd be like, okay, well, this is an issue of Fantastic Four, but I've got a, an inventory story that has the thing teamed up with Daredevil. So now we can just throw it into this issue of Fantastic Four. Interesting. Yeah, so I th my theory is that this comic is just a fill-in with the Hulk and Spider-Woman that maybe they couldn't find an extra Spider-Man story and so they just threw this in just to fill that month's slot of Marvel Yeah, uh, that completely Marvel makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, could be wrong, who knows, but that's my theory. Yeah. Um, so this is interesting because usually we sort of talk about uh, Peter Parker's private life a little bit and kind of touch base with what he's up to, but we're kind of going in blind here, mm -hmm. right? Because we don't, I'm un, I'm almost utterly inf unfamiliar with the Hulk and I'm certainly unfamiliar with Spider-Woman at this point. I don't right. know anything. I mean, I'm not sure if you know anything about Spider-Woman. Um, I, not much, especially like for this time, like I don't think I have read much of her comics um, from the 80s. Sure. So I'm pretty unfamiliar as well. I think I'd I'd be a little bit more familiar with the Hulk, but yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, think, I guess like, throughout I'm definitely time with the Hulk. Uh, throughout time, too, Hulk doesn't change a whole lot, especially if he spends most of the comic in Hulk form. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> but but his, his status quo is because like it's like Jolie said, it's like she can never remember when he's supposed to be smart, dumb, green, gray. Is he split <laughs> from Bruce Banner? Is he together? You know. So I'm not quite sure what's going on, but it seems like he's in one of those phases where he's always the Hulk and he's always dumb. Right. Right. Um, oh, he does change back to Bruce Banner. He, Bruce I was going to say, yeah, which is which is a little goofy. <laughs> uh, I was going to point that out. It's kind of a fun uh, way to have uh, a weakness for the Hulk, I guess. I mean, they don't really use it as a weakness, I guess. But mm. they, they zap him with a pleasure gun. Right. <laughs> which is... Ridiculous. Just yeah, so, you got to wonder what exactly are so they pleasuring goofy. him with. But yeah. Yeah, so they zap him with this pleasure gun. And it makes him really happy, which takes away all his anger, and he turns back into Bruce Banner. And, yeah, even the art oh on boy. this page is a little rough, I think. <laughs> on a Digital 4, Original 5. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, let me just get like, there. Hold on. Right oh, in go the ahead. middle. Right in the middle, Hulk is like right after he's like being zapped and he has this like really scary like awful smile on his yes. face and like his fingers are going in like different directions oh, yeah. and his hand is like off and Oof. like the this whole panel was just a little rough and maybe it's you because <laughs> you never see the hulk smile so they pretty much yeah. took like his giant frown that he normally has and then just turned yes. it upside down yeah because <laughs> he, he, he like his, his, his yeah he's got oh, he's always got these like clenched teeth and his mouth is huge to show how like how angry he is all the time yes. and because he's supposed to be happy it just it's almost uncanny yeah it, it just looks so yeah oh it's rough it, it looks like like a halloween mask almost like it's just weird it's, it's, it's bad here's the yeah. thing is um is that I don't want to diss Carmine Infantino because I love his Flash. I love his Batman and Robin. Like he's the first artist to draw Batman with his uh, the yellow circle around his his logo. Oh, really? Okay. And so I'm yeah. And, and if you're listening out there, I encourage everyone to Google. Just put Carmine Infantino Batman or Batman and Carmine Infantino Batman and Robin, and I'm actually going to send you the image right now, uh, Josh. You can okay. see. On, I don't know if you're on Facebook, but yeah, that is a classic image of Batman and Robin, and it's you can see how okay, good he yeah. was. Yeah, everyone knows that image. That's how good he was at his peak. And now, granted, it was inked by uh, Murphy Anderson, so it's a, he smooths it out a little bit. But he obviously is a good artist. I mean, his, his anatomy was never great, but he's clearly a good artist. Mm-hmm. But at this point in his career, it was just ugly. It was grotesque. Right. You know, some of these shots, I mean, you know, one of the, I mean, this might bother people, but one of the rules about drawing women in comics is you're supposed to make them look attractive. <laughs> but these, this, these shots of Spider-Woman, she is grotesque. You know, like, yeah, um, there, like, there's a couple where it does look off. I think for some reason it, I think it's art looks best when, uh, characters are in shadows and they have like the, the low light kind of lit on them. Good point. And, and that might be due to the, the inking. Yeah, it could, and you're right. Of, you're like, right. Cleaning it, it up, but I'm going to see who's the anchor just a minute. Al Gordon. Oh, Al Gordon's a famous anchor. Yeah. From okay. like the, this era. He's great. Yeah. Um, so it, like if you look on digital seven, original eight, um, like the second panel there, um, yep, Spider Woman right. is like sneaking and, and she's like in the shadows and there's like a little bit of light hitting her face. And I actually really like this panel. It's some really good uh, inking and the, even the line work itself before well, the inking the was, you know, underneath it is a pretty good base. So uh, it's kind of like a mixed bag here. And you know what? Here's the thing is, for example, spy, uh, Star Wars comics. Like, I'm not sure how many Star Wars comics you've read. Mm-hmm. but A, a I, few, I've, yeah. Yeah, I've read some of the Dark Horse. I've read some of the new Marvel. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I like about reading the, the 70s and 80s Marvel Star Wars comics is that a lot of the art was by Carmine Infantino. And one of the reasons I like it is because at least it looked like a comic book. Yeah. You know, it looked, it, it may have been ugly, but at least it was cartoony. And so it gives it a little bit of that comic book charm that I just mm-hmm. love so much, you know. But yeah, some of the, I mean, as long as you can stomach like some of these figures being wildly exaggerated and deformed, basically, you know, it still is professional comic book art. It's just mm-hmm. not pretty. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, so yeah, what do you think of the story in this issue? It's pretty 
basic, I guess. Like, yeah, I know. So, so we start off with uh, the Hulk being captured, and then this scientist is um, he wants Bruce Banner's blood and DNA so he can make like the perfect creature that can survive mm-hmm. like nuclear war. And uh, Spider Woman just happens to be there and um, helps him out, and she's battling like a bunch of these mutant creatures that he's created. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, I don't know. It's it's a <laughs> again, it's a pretty basic story, kind of simple. Right. It's fun because you know we get to see like some new creatures and kind of interesting seeing them, but they don't really do anything special in this. So it kind of falls flat. I don't know. Well, again, I think. I'm starting, you know, obviously we've been reading a lot of Stephen Grant stories because he does Marvel team up. And uh, again, it's sort of like a good plot. Everything's solid, but it's a little bit humorless. It's a mm-hmm. little bit, it's not as fun as the other Spidey books. Yeah. So it's definitely solid, but not, it's not anything I'd rush out to read. But at the same time, I don't regret reading it. It's not bad. Yeah. You know, um, one other funny fact I found out about Spider, because I didn't know anything about Spider-Woman until years after I got into comics. And one of the funny things about Spider-Woman <clears throat> is that unlike, say, Superman, Supergirl, Hulk, She-Hulk, uh, Batman, Batgirl, there is they no have n- nothing no to connection. do with each other. Right. Yeah, there is like she, her origin has nothing to do with Spider-Man's. She, I believe, was on the West Coast. He was on the East Coast. And when they first meet, they haven't even heard of each other. She is somehow, yeah. I believe, not even heard of Spider-Man, which is bizarre. But uh, yeah, so really weird uh, background to the character. And I, I believe, just like She-Hulk, I think she was only created so that Marvel could own the copyright to the name Spider-Woman, as far as I know. Because they were oh, worried that, like... Yeah, they were worried that, like, the car- like once they licensed Spider-Man for cartoons, they were worried that, like, whatever studio would just create their own Spider-Woman, right? So they just they oh, did okay. it to kind of just rush it out just to get the copyright, yeah. Or so do you, do you think that's the case for other... Like the the other characters as well, like She Hulk, or she was Hulk, yeah, She Hulk was created over a weekend. Like wow, that, as far as I know, they licensed the Hulk for the cartoon. They're like, oh my god, what if, you know, what if whatever company's doing this, it just creates their own She Hulk. And so I think Stan Lee and John Buscema, like they did the She Hulk number one over a weekend. It was insane. Wow. They, they probably had, yeah, they, I think they had like a team of inkers helping. So interesting backstory. As far as the other ones, I'm not, as far as, I think, actually, Batgirl, funny. Batgirl, the Barbara Gordon Batgirl uh, was only created, I believe, because they knew she was going to be, cre- like, they were going to have a Batgirl in the TV show, so they created a new one to be in the TV show. Wow. But there already was another one before that, the one with the red costume, I think, and a yellow cape and like the, the kind of pointy mask. Okay. She had already been around. Sorry, Batwoman. There was a there was a Kathy Kane Batwoman, and then I think she had like a younger sister who was Batgirl. And then they got rid of those characters in the fifties, and then they introduced the Barbara Gordon Batgirl because they knew she was coming in the TV show. So I'm not sure if there's some kind of licensing thing where maybe whatever TV network owns the TV show, maybe they own a part of Batgirl. I don't know about that. Uh, Supergirl. Not really sure about Supergirl, uh, but I, I know that um, the character Supergirl was inspired by Mary Marvel. Are you familiar with uh, the Shazam, like the Marvel family yes. or anything? Yeah. Yeah. So Shazam, sorry, Captain Marvel had Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., and and then all these other ones, and one of them was Mary Marvel. And so I think Supergirl was created to sort of, you know, as like a follow up to the idea of okay. having this whole family of characters. Yeah. So. Huh. 
That's, yeah. that's, that's interesting. That's that's actually good to know. That that definitely explains why they aren't necessarily connected. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, again, not, this issue has nothing to do with Spider-Man. But, you know, he's in a regular Spider-Man comic. And so we talked about it. And sort of, you know, getting a, um, a glance, a glimpse, a glimpse into the life of Spider-Woman who I've only read maybe two Spider-Woman comics in my life. So... Again, not a maybe not a character I'd rush to go and see, but interesting enough that I could read more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also have to point out I love Spider Woman's costume. Yeah, it is a really cool costume. Really simple, like you said earlier, simple, mm-hmm. striking. Like the, that weird pattern on her chest is just so perfect. I love it. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, an odd month, definitely an odd month for Spider Man. Um, out of the three comics we read, only two of them actually have Spider Man in them. Uh, but next month, we are going to be reading four Spidey comics because we're covering Amazing Spider-Man 209, Marvel Team-Up 98, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man 47, and Amazing Spider-Man Annual 14. Okay. So that's going to be October uh, 1980, all the Spidey comics published that month. And that'll be next Monday at the same well not really the same time we kind of upload this at different times but we'll definitely be up on monday so please join us please share these videos please like uh please tell your spider friends all about us <laughs> right please tell everybody all about us yeah please and, do. and and make sure you uh comment wherever you can yes. and let us know what you think and what you think that we should maybe improve on or you know what did you think of the issues and the art we'd love to hear back from you absolutely So we're looking forward to hearing from you guys. All right, and we will see you again next week. See you later.